This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, February 9th, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. The IRS snooping on your Cash App, Venmo, and PayPal transactions has already begun. There are numerous problems with allowing it, but it also indicates a cultural problem inside federal agencies that, because the data exists, they should be able to access it. Cato's Nick Anthony and Julian Sanchez spoke with me on Monday. A lot of people engage in cash transactions. Uh, and in the more recent digital age, it has become relatively easier to engage in those kinds of transactions with an app, uh, Venmo, Cash App, PayPal, any number of other applications that allow you to move a few bucks here and there. And now the IRS has the power under certain circumstances to gather information about those kinds of transactions uh, if you total up $600 worth of them in a year. And a lot of people do that. So how do we understand, uh, first of all, the power of the IRS to do this? What limits their authority to uh, snoop on my cash app and say, Caleb, we think you've done something suspicious here and we need to investigate it? Well, the chief way that they're using to step into this space is through the third-party doctrine. And while it sounds pretty innocuous uh, in passing, it's something that has been around in just about every space for the past 50 years or so, used as basically breaking it down to you have a right to privacy that's protected by the Constitution, but the government can intervene if you've allowed a third party to get involved with your privacy. So think of when you have a bank account, you give your money to the bank or you give your money to a payment processor like Venmo. They suddenly become a third party in between you and the person you want to share your money with. And that alone gives them the authority to step in and essentially violate what should be protected by the Fourth Amendment. This is nothing new, of course. Actually, one of the the seminal decisions uh in which that third party doctrine was articulated involved the uh, the Bank Secrecy Act of 1970. And so it's not new for the government to impose uh, reporting requirements on financial institutions um, for a very long time. Banks, for example, have had to report um, uh, transactions of over $10,000 in order to police money laundering. Uh, and of course, the IRS will also investigate people who make transactions a little under um, uh, $10,000 who are suspected of trying to avoid the $10,000 reporting limit. And uh, uh, inspector general investigations have found that, that very often those, um, those investigations are not terribly well conducted um, and end up uh, uh, wasting uh, the time and causing a lot of stress for people who weren't, in fact, uh, doing anything wrong. Uh, what's new here in a, a rule change that was sort of snuck into the American Rescue Plan and actually took effect on on January 1st is whereas previously uh, these these sort of third party payment processors like Venmo and Cash App and PayPal um, had to file uh, 1099s when uh, or issue 1099s when uh, you had a, an account with transactions over twenty thousand dollars and uh, over uh, 200 uh, transactions a year, which is to say, you know, a real business making substantial income um, via via that app, um, that has been reduced to $600 now. Um, and that means you're, you're, you're going to sweep in a whole lot of data about, uh, you know, pretty low level, uh, you know, sort of transactions that 
essentially in a previous era, our transactions that would have been done in cash um, wouldn't have, you know, probably wouldn't have been reported at all. Frankly, probably wouldn't have occurred to most people. Um, you know, $600 a year, that's effectively, uh, you know, 50 bucks a, a month, um, you know, might not even count as the kind of thing it would register with people as something that needs to be reported in income. Uh, and IRS says they're not talking about transactions uh, where uh, that, that are, you know, for example, people sp- uh, sharing the cost of a meal or splitting the cost of a, you know, a vacation rental or something like that, um, interpersonal kind of payments sharing, but only business transactions, payments for goods and services. But again, that too, you know, uh, brings in a lot of stuff um, that that people wouldn't normally think of as stuff that you're you need to report as taxable income, like offloading some some old property on eBay, the kind of stuff you you know used to get rid of at, at a garage sale. Um, so you're talking about a, a kind of granularity reporting here that's going to flood uh, the IRS with with data about um, I think potentially much you know s- smaller level transactions, you know, kind of side hustles on Etsy or eBay. Um, and one effect of that is that you're now potentially going to be investigating people who, again, either uh, are just sort of disposing of personal property to make money or, you know, making very small amounts of income through some kind of side side work. Um, and unlike people who are investigated for making $10,000 transactions, um, are often going to be people who have a lot fewer resources uh, to defend themselves uh, against an intrusive IRS investigation, people who may not have uh, the ability, for example, to lawyer up in response. Um, and, you know, it's, it's often, you know, this is stressful and potentially unfair, you know, whether you have resources or not. Um, but it's, it's you know, more disturbing when you consider that, that uh, you're setting the stage for uh, what are likely to be a large number of sort of false positive investigations uh, into uh, folks who are not, you know, big money tax sheets and uh, and are not really very well equipped uh, to to push back against a, a massive federal agency pry, prying into their finances and asking for a detailed accounting of uh, you know what they sold on eBay last year. All right, and Nick, leaving all that aside, the IRS is terrible at giving Americans advice about their own taxes. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It, it's become just a, a trope that you you go in and you ask for help from the IRS, and depending on who you get, you'll get a different answer. And Julian couldn't be more right that we have a system that is ostensibly claimed to be to catch the the big tax cheats. And yet it's targeting everyone at the bottom and all those people are going to need help to better understand their taxes. And yet when they go into the IRS to get help, to try to get clarity about what exactly is going on, it's not clear that they're going to get it at any point. I think it's very telling that the uh, the same legislation that included this rule change um, ramped up uh, funding for IRS enforcement and provided 20 times more funding uh, for increased enforcement than it did for increased taxpayer assistance. So there's more resources for the IRS to investigate and pursue people, you know, some of whom maybe should be pursued, uh, but uh, a lot less resources to help people understand what they need to do to comply with the tax laws. So, um, uh, you know, not enough resources to explain what you need to do um, to be in the clear and, and to comply with the law, but a lot more resources where if you uh, make a mistake, well, perhaps because you didn't get good advice from the IRS uh, to 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 go after you for that mistake. You know, leaving all of this aside, it's just at least a little 
troubling and creepy to know that this idea just to balance out the accounting of a of a very expensive piece of legislation got past a couple of guys at a water cooler got past the agency generally approving of it got past uh, a bunch of lawmakers who wanted to uh, approve it and then passed into law and it just seems like if if you had to ask the the median voter this this is the, this is what we're going to do these are the transactions we're going to we are going to start collecting and snooping uh on um it it i guess it speaks to just a weird cultural state of agencies about what they feel like they're entitled to from americans it it is a very strange culture to think that this is something that is is fine to to put forth i mean you're absolutely right that maybe at the lunch table, this is something that might come up as an interesting conversation. But when you go through stage after stage after stage and not ask yourself, is this really the right thing to be doing? Should we really be taking what is protected by the Constitution and circumvent it for what is going to be bottom of the line data? It, it really makes no sense. And I think you're absolutely right that this reflects a larger cultural change that's taking place here. I mean, there was even one point, consider the, the bank reporting threshold that came up last year where it was originally going to be $600. Now, when all the debates came forth and everyone was saying, we are not okay with this, this is not something that we want to see happen in this country, all of a sudden it was pulled back. And they said, we are going to change it from $600 to $10,000 because that's a number people are more used to. People are more familiar with that threshold. And while there is truth in that, that there's bank reporting that's already taking place at the $10,000 threshold, clearly it shows how they view it if they're going to accept it as this is something that we'll meet you in the middle, we'll have a, a, a nice change of pace, something you're more comfortable with, when in reality, I don't think anyone is comfortable with being snooped on like this. Uh, and, and Julian, as a related matter, I know Ron Wyden has uh, been critical of the IRS recently for their plan to require facial recognition or face ID in order to have an online account with the IRS. Yeah, as, a, as a, an attempt to crack down on uh, identity theft and identity fraud, which is a, indeed a, a real problem worth addressing. Uh, they, they've contracted with an outside company called ID.me. Uh, and the plan essentially is to access your online uh, IRS records, your tax records. Um, you would have to upload effectively a kind of video selfie um, to provide a kind of face recognition credential in order to log in. Um, there are, I think, a whole bunch of problems um, with that idea. Uh, you know, for one, uh, this is an idea that, that the uh, kind of government identity verification site, login.gov, uh, which is run by the General Service Administration, uh, considered, um, again, as the sort of the entity responsible for building an identity verification uh, a portal for government websites, looked at face recognition and said, no, we don't think this is a good idea um, for a bunch of different reasons. Um, Despite that, we have IRS uh, now saying, uh, although given the backlash, we'll see whether or not this goes forward, uh, but saying, oh, we're actually going to require you to upload biometric data um, and, in fact, provide that biometric data to a, 
a private external contractor um, as a condition of having access to your to your own tax records. Um, there's a bunch of problems with that. I mean, there's a, a, a well-known issue with um, the reliability of uh, a face recognition, in particular with respect to non-white um, uh, faces. The error rate, at least traditionally, has been uh, higher for uh, for black and Asian faces, for example. Um, those error rates have come down as as the technology has been refined. Um, but it, I think, it, it sort of remains to be seen um, how how much that uh, that actually works in the wild when you have people, uh, you know, uploading uh, uh, selfies for taken maybe under non-ideal conditions, uh, non-ideal lighting. Um, there's you know, so the issue of revocability. I mean, there's there's a question of whether biometrics are the right identity verification mechanism for a lot of uh, a lot of things um especially you know logging into to uh thing online and that's because one kind of traditional security criterion um is uh revocability of credentials that is you you know in the in in the in the event a security credential is compromised you want the ability to revoke it so oh, there was a hack your passwords got out you need to change your password to protect your security, um, well, you can't change your face. Or I mean, you can, but uh, very expensive. Usually, yeah, usually it's pretty expensive. Or I mean, you can do it cheaply, but the results aren't great. Um, you know, if you've got a if you've got a, a hammer in your toolbox, um, which of course that's another problem, right? I mean, people do have accidents and incidents that alter their faces sometimes. Um, that's going to create an issue. Um, anecdotally, this this particular company has had issues where um, you know people find a failure of verification for whatever reason, uh, and then end up having to wait hours for uh, a kind of customer service person to resolve the issue um, because they didn't have enough personnel staffed up uh, uh, in order to resolve it. So I think there's a whole bunch of uh, of reasons to find this dubious. Um, but in particular, you know, for for kind of anti-fraud reasons, the biometric data that's collected by this, this external company is going to have to be stored um, for several years. Uh, and I think there's kind of the additional good question of... Um, well, you know what else, What other uses might be might be made of that of that bi- biometric data? Um, so I think you know there's a question. Well, how quickly do we want to move at mandating, in effect, the creation of this very large database of uh, of of biometric data of large numbers of people stored by a, a third party private company that the government has access to, uh, and you know not a lot of thought put into. Um, what other potential uses uh, might end up being made of that of that you know of, of that database? And the IRS can't even secure the tax records of the richest people on the planet, right? I mean, yeah, there's there was a recent uh, a substantial uh, uh, data leak uh, from IRS, uh, and you know, private companies all the time have these kind of large scale data leaks. Um, and you know, it's one thing to say, well, look, you know, you you may take the risk of providing private information to your Facebook or some other company and, um, you know, hacks happen and maybe it's exposed. Um, but when you're talking about something like access to your tax records, um, which you are required to uh, to submit, right, um, interfacing with a government agency that you don't really have a choice about engaging with and interfacing with, um, I think you, you want a much higher bar um, when you're saying, well, what what kind of data are you forced to provide to them to uh, and you know to put into a a large and potentially vulnerable database uh, I think given the absence of real choice about whether to participate in that we ought to have a uh, a pretty high necessity threshold uh, when we're asking people to, to turn over data 
Nick Anthony manages the Cato Institute Center for Monetary and Financial Alternatives. Julian Sanchez is a Cato Senior Fellow. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 